You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. So today as we conclude the focus series, I want us to, to hone in, to focus in on a particular story, a particular passage in 2 Kings chapter 9. And we'll pick this up in verse 1. So 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1 says, The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take this flask of oil with you, and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you go there, look for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. There's some great baby names right there, just in case. I don't know if you're expecting, but if you have twins, you're set. Like, you got Jehoshaphat and Nimshi says, go to him, get him away from his companions and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. So verse 4, so the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead and when he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. He said, I have a message for you, commander. For which one of us? Asked Jehu. For you, commander. So verse 6, Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. Then jump down to verse 10, and then he opens the door and he runs. In verse 11, when Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, Is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? You know the man and the sort of things he says, replied Jehu. That's not true, they said. Tell us. So Jehu said, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. This passage is really intriguing in that one, it gives us a unique window in kind of the geopolitical state of Israel this time frame. So it's a divided nation and they have multiple kings. There's a king of Judah and a king of Israel and What you see is you see this wicked king Ahab and his queen Jezebel. You see this major prophet in the Old Testament called Elisha, who's overseeing what I would call an entire guild of prophets. So he's the main prophet. He's like the CEO prophet. And he has an entire team, an entire department of prophets that are he's training underneath of him. So Elisha takes one of these prophets and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jehu. You're going to find him in the midst of his fellow commanders. I want you to anoint him king over Israel. And what's happening in this moment is essentially this is a treasonous moment in the nation. There's already an established king. Elisha is anointing a new king to be over the nation. So it's this really tricky dynamic. So he says, hey, anoint him and then run. Don't stick around. So in this moment, we see this picture of what's happening here. And what I love is up until this moment, Jehu is only referred to as commander. He's sitting with his fellow officers. He's sitting with his fellow commanders. And then after this moment, Jehu is referred to as king. What I would articulate to you today is that that oftentimes, most frequently, God will have to step in and change your identity and reestablish any identity for you before he changes your activity. You see, here's the first point for today. Identity will always precede activity. 
God will always tell you what you are before he tells you what to do. Before Jehu led any coup, before he rode his chariot into battle to fight the king, before he destroyed Jezebel and her influence on the nation, before he did any of those things, God had to step in and speak to him in a moment and says, this is who you are now. There is an identity establishing moment that the Lord speaks to Jehu that changes everything. In verse 5, think about this. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. This is like this classic moment. I love it. He says, I have a message for you, commander. And he said, for which one of us, Jehu asked. Two things I think are hysterical about this moment. One is that Jehu's looking around. This is like when you're in school. I don't know about you, but when, you know, the vice principal walks into the room and then says, hey, we need to talk to somebody. And you're like, who? Like, you're like, am I in trouble right now? Are you talking to me? Or are you talking to somebody else? This is like that kind of moment, like, who are you trying to talk to? And the prophet looks right at Jehu and says, I'm talking to you, commander. He anoints him to become king. And in that moment, everything changes for Jehu. You see, before we focus on the multitude of things that we've got to do this year, there are, I'm sure your list and I have my list of all the things that we want to accomplish, things we want to do with our family, things we want to do for our church, small groups we want to lead, all of these wonderful things that we want to do. Before we do any of those things, we've got to lean in and listen and let the Lord speak identity into us. Because if you try to start with the activity, what happens is your identity begins to get formed around the activity that you're doing instead of the identity that God says you are. Jehu was sitting around with his peers. He was probably comfortable being a commander in that moment. Some of us in this room even, we've been... We've been in the same company of people. We've been doing the same things with our lives for a while now. And it's comfortable and it's easy and we're used to it. But I would articulate and I would, I would dare you essentially to lean into the Lord this year and say, what new thing is he calling you to? If you're comfortable with your season of life, I would, I would dare you essentially just to lean in and say, God, are you calling me to something new? Are you speaking a new identity to me this year? Have I been comfortable being a commander when you're calling me to be a king in an area this year? Because what we do will always flow out of who we are. The root question for all of us is, who do we believe that we are? are we, will we allow the millions of other voices that surround us in this country to solidify our identity, or will we lean in? Will we press in? Will we push out the other things? Will we create margin in our schedules so that we have time and intentionality to hear from the Lord? And that looks different for everybody. Man, if that's your commute on the ride to work, man, make it intentional. If that's you waking up early and you got the, the big comfy leather chair and the worship music and the coffee and your kids are sleeping until 9 o'clock. Then I need to come over to your house and spend time with Jesus. <laughs> Whatever it looks like in your season of life, in your home, in your family. I would encourage you, man, make, make some intentionality in it. Lean into the Lord. Just, just close off all the other voices and allow the Lord to speak his, allow him to speak to you. 
You see, spending time with Jesus is essentially like having corrective lenses for our soul. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more clearly we're able to identify who he says that we are. You see, Christine Kane said, it's one of my it's an incredible quote. Christine Kane says, extraordinary accomplishments in the kingdom of God rarely are happenstance. They are a result of our daily choices and everyday actions. My encouragement to you today is simply make the choice to spend time with Jesus. Make that a part of your day. Make that a part of your life. Before I came on staff at any church, I was a stockbroker. I worked for an investment firm. And when people would, I would talk to different customers about retirement specifically. It seemed to be the recurring theme there. And they would always want to know, people would always want to know, what is the, what's the current hot stock? What's the best mutual fund for me to invest in right now? And I was always a little bit of a disappointment to them. Because I would tell them, that's really not a good idea at this moment. The best thing that you can do for your investment, for your portfolio, to increase its value, to increase your return on your investment is something I would call dollar cost averaging. Now, if you've never heard of that term before, here's what it essentially means. It's that you have a steady investment of the same amount every week or every month or every so every set time period. And as you invest that average and you invest consistently, what happens is there are days where you may buy high, there are days when you may buy low. But over the course of time, your average cost of purchase will be lower and your return on your investment will be substantially higher over time. Let me connect that to spending time with Jesus. If you are willing to spend time with Jesus daily, you're buying low. Every day, whether it's a great time with Jesus or it's one of those days where it's just like you're just reading the Bible that day. There's no open heavens. There's no audible voice of the Lord speaking to you in that moment. You're just reading the Bible. Those types of days. If you're willing to invest daily, consistently in your relationship with the Lord, what will happen is over time, your return on that investment will be substantially higher. Your ROI will go through the roof. But it takes intentionality. It takes investment. Because the closer you are to Jesus, the more secure you will always be in your identity. Let me give you an example of this. Let's just pretend for a moment. Now, this wouldn't really happen. Let's, just, let's have some fun. Let's just pretend for a moment that I'm not up here. We're all here today, we're, but I'm not up here up on stage. We're just, and all of a sudden, you see this little boy on stage. He's pretty cute. He's got blonde hair. He's got blue eyes. And you're just looking at that little boy going, now, none of you would actually do this, I'm sure. Um, I, I trust you enough. But you would, in your mind, maybe go, what is that child doing on stage? Then all of a sudden, you know, he takes a look at the, the drums in the back corner there, and he goes, little boy just kind of wanders over to the drum cage, hops back there, and then he finds some drumsticks. You're going, this can't be good. I know where this is going. And he starts just banging on the drums. Like, not a, he cannot carry a beat to save his life right now. But he just starts banging on the drums. And you're just going, who is this child? Who, whose parents are he? Is he? Where, where are his parents? Why aren't his parents fixing this situation right now? You're having this moment because you're looking at all the things this little boy's doing. And then he gets up and decides that's boring. And he starts to touch the drum shield. And you, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen four-year-old hands, all of a sudden you know that all of a sudden now there's all these streaks and smudges on the drum shield. And you're going, I can't focus now. There are smudges on the drum shield. 
I can't focus. That is so distracting. You know what I mean? You're having this moment and you're wondering what is happening right now. Same story, but I'm right here on stage. That same little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little boy is up here. And all of a sudden, he just walks right up next to me. You see, you'd stop questioning his activity. Why? Because it's clear he's my boy. It's clear that it's Isaac standing right next to me. And all of a sudden, you're not worried about his activity anymore. You're worried. You're looking. His activity is fine because his identity is established because he's right here next to me. It's in that moment that his proximity to me makes the activity okay. Now, if he's putting fingerprints on the drum shield, you may be still questioning my parenting ability. But you know he's my boy. It's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. When we stay in proximity to him, our activity is questionable. We're able to be rooted and established in our proximity to our father. Jehu had the same moment. He had to get his identity anchored because his activity was about to change. What he was doing was about to change, but he had to get his identity established first. See, your identity is always of primary importance in your relationship with the Lord. It's not so much about what you're doing for the Lord. It's who you are in the Lord. What you do will always proceed. It always flow out of who you are. That's how it works. It's identity, then activity. Because we're not what we do. Whatever it is you're doing in this life, you are not what you do, but what you do flows out of who you are. That's where we get first importance. And who we are is who God says that we are. Identity will always precede activity. I want to encourage some of you. You don't know who you are in the Lord today. Man, if you're far from God or you've been serving Jesus a long time, there's still people, there's still those of us who are working out who we are in the Lord. I would encourage you to surround yourself. Find yourself a group of people. Find yourself a small group that can help you identify who you are in the Lord that will come alongside you as you articulate, here's what the Lord's saying to me. Here's who he says I am. That they'll come to you and they'll say, yeah. So point one, identity precedes activity. Point two. Surround yourself with people who will help you run. I love that Jehu's surrounded by his peers in this moment. He's just in the company of other officers. He's not trying to do anything extra. He's not working hard to become a king. He's not going to school to become a king. He's not doing any of those things. All he's doing is he's hanging out with his comrades. And as soon as he comes out of the chamber, they begin peppering him with questions. They're like, wait, no, what happened? What did that guy say to you? They very well probably knew that this guy was a prophet. They probably knew that he was anointed, that the Lord spoke to him in this moment. So they come out. As soon as Jehu comes out, what did he say to you? And Jehu, like, tries to downplay it. I love this moment. This is, like, comical to me. He's like, ah, you know, that guy's crazy. You know how they are. You know, he's, like, pushing it off, like, nah, it's no big deal. And they're like, no, 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 no. He said something to you. What did he say to you? They would not let him off the hook. So finally Jehu tells them. And then I love the verse. It says, quickly. They took their cloaks and made a throne, blew the ram's horn, and started crying out, Jehu is king. Man, I want to surround myself with people 
when they, when they hear what the Lord has spoken to me, when they see who I am in the Lord, are willing to champion that cause, blow the ram's horn and to cry, Jehu is king. We all need people in our lives like that. We need people who can recognize that God is doing something in our hearts, look us straight in the eye and say, no, this is, what, this is the word of the Lord for you. Jehu is king. They wouldn't let him off the hook. They wouldn't let him settle for anything less than his God-given identity. Those are powerful friends. Those are powerful type of people to surround yourself with. See, John Maxwell said that, like this, he said, the people closest to you determine your level of success. So a few years ago, I ran my first half marathon, which incidentally was also my last half marathon. <laughs> so I had this app on my phone. I had this training program that I was doing. And it took about five, six months to train for it. And I was running really consistently, um, putting in all the miles, doing all the, the appropriate work to, to get there, right? And over all the trainings, I was averaging about 10, mi- 10 minutes a mile. Which, if you do the math, that's a little over two hours. It's two hours and ten minutes to run a half marathon. So it's 13.1 miles. So I'm doing all the training, and I'm at the day of the race, and my wife drives me there because I'm, in, I'm ex- fully expecting to be rather sore when I'm done. And um, she drives me to the race, and then, you know, you get the pre-race jitters, the butterflies, all those things. And then what happens is they always tell you, all the research I was doing said, hey, whatever you do, don't start out too fast. You'll... you'll You'll plateau and you'll, you'll dive. So I'm like, this is all in my head. I'm like trying to figure this out. The, the starting gun goes and I start running. So I'm trying to find a group of people who are running about what I think is the right pace. Notice I said trying. So what happened was I ended up getting sucked up into this group of runners who um, were actually running much faster than I was supposed to be running. And so I'm looking at my watch. I'm like thinking through this moment and I'm going... You're, you're running, there's nothing else to do but think. So you're just thinking and you're going, I'm trying to do the math in my mind in this moment and I'm going, huh, I think I'm running too fast. I'm afraid of slowing down because then I might just slow down all the way. So I'm going to stay with these group of guys, these group of like five runners. What ended up happening is I ended up crossing the finish line at one hour and 57 minutes. Now, how was I able to cut off effectively 13 minutes for my average time? I cut a minute per mile off of my time. It had nothing to do with my training. It had nothing to do with my ability. It had everything to do with who I chose to surround myself with when I was running. Because they were running at a faster pace, I ran at a faster pace. Right now in the running community even, there's this big push. Nike is spearheading this moment to um, have a sub-two-hour marathon. That's crazy. They're running 26.2 miles, and they're trying to break the two-hour mark. Like, on the right day, you can't drive 26 miles on I-35 in two hours. It's like, (laughs) they're doing this. And the most controversial part of all of this is not the shoes they're running. They've got these, um, anyway, I'm not even going to go into the shoes or any of the technology, any of the training methods that they're actually using. The most controversial part of this entire process is the fact that the people, the men who are coming the closest to breaking the two-hour mark are using pacers. Here's what a pacer is for a runner. So the runner typically is sitting out and he's running at his normal pace, right? They know, Nike knows that if they can get someone along the race course 
that runs a faster pace at a shorter period of time, that runner will pick up off that guy. So they're putting five, six pacers who are running about five mile increments at a very fast pace so that the lead runner can keep an eye on them and keep his pace high. Nike knew what I stumbled into. Imagine that. (laughs) That if you surround yourself with people who are willing and able to run faster and farther than you, you will run faster and farther too. So I want to ask you, where do you want to run faster in? What area, what sphere of your life, what part of your life do you want to become better at? Where is the Lord speaking fresh identity? Where have you been a commander? And he's saying that you are a king and I want to, I want to draw out more of in you. I want to see you raise your level. I want to see you go further and farther than you've been this past year, and past seasons of life. I want to see you accomplish more. Is he calling you not just to be a good father? Is he calling you to be a great father? Surround yourself with great fathers and you will become a great father. Something I've had to learn in my own life. I grew up in a divorced home. I saw my dad four days a month. My dad is my hero. I adore my dad. But because I wasn't around him, I didn't have an active participant to see how he parented. So I had to learn how to become a father. How did I do that? I started surrounding myself with great dads. If you want to be a great runner, surround yourself with great runners. If you want to be a great spouse, surround yourself with great spouse. Don't surround yourself with people who are constantly bashing their, their significant other. Surround yourself with people who are constantly speaking the best in their spouse. Man, if you want to dig into the word of God this year like never before, find yourself a group of people who are, who are doing that. If you want to dive in and, and grow in your creative, artistic abilities as a follower of Jesus, then surround yourself with people who are doing that. Jump into a small group for creative people. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like for your life, wherever you want to improve on, jump into that. Man, if you're a young adult and you want to get better at a casual breakfast on Saturday mornings, there is a small group for that. Whatever it is, whatever you want to improve on, man, jump into a small group. Get into a, with a group of people who will make you better in that area. Verse 13 again. So they quickly spread their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. And then verse 14, I love this verse. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, led a conspiracy against King Joram. I love the causality of that first word, that word so. There's this moment before this, Jehu's anointed, downplaying his identity. His friends who surrounded him will not allow him to settle for less. And because of that, because they surrounded him and said, no, this is who you are. Jehu is king. They blew the ram's horn. They championed the call of God in Jehu's life. So, Jehu led the conspiracy. My question for you today, who are you surrounding yourself with so that you can accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish? So that you can be all who God has called you to be. 
Because I promise you, if you focus in on that identity, who the Lord says that you are, if you lean in to who he says that you are, and you surround yourself with people, with comrades who will champion that, who will effectively blow the ram's horn in your life and say, no, 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 Jehu is king. They will shout. They will declare it with you. They will believe the best about you and for you. As you surround yourself with those champion people in your life, what will happen is you will grow. You will take ground. You will accomplish more in this season of your life than ever before. I promise you. You see, I believe the most common cause of living beneath your God-given capacity is the, the willingness or the inability to walk with other people. If you want to reach your God-given potential and your God-given destiny, it is almost always associated with coming together with a group of people. I'm telling you, there's nothing more powerful in your life than hearing your identity from the Lord and then surrounding yourself with people who blow the ransom, who champion that identity in your life. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And he, he called it the sum of all wisdom. So Proverbs 27, 17, it says like this. It says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. But he bookends that with this verse in Ecclesiastes that I want to show you. It's Ecclesiastes 10, 10. It says, if the iron is blunt... And one does not sharpen the edge. He must use more strength, but wisdom helps someone succeed. Here's my question for you. Are you striving so diligently? Are you striving so hard in this life to accomplish and to take ground and to do things for the Lord? And you're finding yourself unable to truly take ground. You're working hard. You're being diligent, but you're not taking ground. I would encourage you, if you're intentional, if you focus in on surrounding yourself with great men and women of God, if you focus in and say, here's what I'm going to do this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make margin in my schedule so that I can spend time with people who will champion the cause of God in my life, then what will happen is invariably you will sharpen your edge. And then the effort level to take ground will drop. You'll still have to work. You'll still have to be diligent. You'll still have to do all of those things. I'm not discounting any of those things. But the effort level will be so much easier. Why? Because iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you want to keep your edge, if you want to maintain your edge, you've got to get around other people. So I love the backpacking camp and... So I have a, um, a few like camping knives and things like that. And the number one thing they tell you about keeping a, uh, a knife sharp is one, that a dull knife is a dangerous knife. So the goal is to keep your knives really sharp. And the best way to keep your knife sharp is not to sharpen it once a month, once every six months, once every year, but it's to sharpen it all the time. It's to take a break, even if you're, whatever you're doing, just take a moment, sharpen your knife. Perpetually, it's constantly sharpening. The best way to stay sharp as a believer is not to jump into relationships just at the high points or just in the extravagant points or just the high need points, but to constantly be assessing and reassessing your relationships and going, am I maintaining my edge? Am I staying sharp so that I can take ground for the Lord? 
Abraham Lincoln said it like this. He said, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. So many of us are trying with all of our might to chop down a tree to take ground. I'm telling you, if you will be intentional about sharpening your edge, about getting around godly people, your effort, your impact, and the amount of ground you're able to take will go substantially higher. I'm going to close with this. There are, essentially, there are two types of relationships you have to get right in this life. If you want to thrive, if you don't just want to exist, I don't want to exist, and I don't, my heart isn't that you would just want to exist. But if you want to thrive in this life, if you want to thrive this year, there are two types of relationships that you have to get right. Number one is your relationship with the Lord. You've got to be diligent in that. You've got to lean in. You've got to make margin to hear him speak. You've got to spend time seeking him. You know, so this summer I'll be, I've been married for 10 years. So if I want a healthy relationship with my wife, is it advantageous for me to only talk to her on date nights? It's not date night, Rachel. I don't want to talk to you. I can't talk to you until we're on a date. Or just on anniversary dinner. You know what I mean? When we're going out for our anniversary, it's like a big date night. You know, it's 10 years. We're going to do it up. I can only, I'm only going to talk to you in this moment, Rach. Those of you who are married or, you know, you're laughing and going, good luck. When Rachel and I are the closest, when we're on the same page the most, is when the dialogue and the conversation is constant. When the text thread is happening throughout the day and we're joking around and we're telling each other about our days and what's happening and meetings we've had and all those types of things. When we're talking over dinner, we're actually looking eye to eye. We're not, we shut off the TV. We, you know, all those other things, all those things that can distract us. We just do all that and we just, we just have a constant communication cycle going. I'm telling you, your relationship with the Lord is very much the same way. It's not just about the big epic moments. It's about the day in and day out consistency. It's like what Paul wrote that we should pray without ceasing. The Greek that he's using there isn't just that it's constant. It's like that perpetual cough that you've got in the back of your throat that just won't go away. It's just always there. You're just constantly coughing. You're just constantly talking to the Lord throughout your day. I want to encourage you to make margin, make time in your day to lean into the Lord. Second relationship that you have to get right is your relationship with other people. Man, I promise you, this life will go better if you have great relationships. There's nothing like it. There's nothing more. Nothing will help your ability to take ground for the kingdom than great relationships. And I want to encourage you, even as we approach the small group semester, don't, don't just punt on the first group if it doesn't go right. It's easy to say, hey, that didn't work. I didn't like that book that they were using. I didn't like the coffee shop that they picked out. I didn't like that it was a 5 a.m. and I don't want to do that. And I, don't punt on the first group. Man, make an effort to say, no, I'm going to prioritize great godly relationships in my life. So what I'm going to do, even if the first one doesn't work, even if the second one doesn't work, even if the third one doesn't work for you or for your life or those people aren't, they don't click and all those things don't happen, man, I want to encourage you, don't punt on small groups. Lean into relationships. 
you'll be better because of it, I promise. Now, as I've served Christ for about 15 years now, I could, I've heard more sermons than I care to admit. But the number one thing that's impacted my life along the way have been my friendships, have been my relationships, have been the people who were willing to champion the call of God in my life, my God-given destiny, my identity in him, who were willing to blow the ram's horn and cry out, Jehu is king for my life. Man, those are the people that have impacted me the most. And I promise if you get around people like that, your life will be better. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory at radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radiant Church, please click Give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radiant Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.